Hello, and welcome to Read This Fucking Book, Episode 8, The Forever War. I'm Elena. And I'm Rachel. And we are here to discuss Joe Haldeman's classic military science fiction novel, The Forever War. Um, this book was originally published in, I believe, 1975, um, maybe maybe 74, actually. I think it might have run as a serial in... Um, one of the science fiction magazines at the time. It won the Nebula in 1975, and it won both the Hugo and the Locus Awards in 1976. It has two sequels, um, which I have not read, so I have no personal experience of them, but they weren't published until it looks like the late 90s when this edition of the book um, was released. And I should uh, think it's important to note that the edition you can buy on Kindle is the same one that was released in like 1997 or 98 and it is what the author considers to be the real version of the book however what was originally published back in the 1970s had a different middle section so we're not reading the exact same text that won all the awards we're reading what would be like the director's cut basically what the author wanted it to be so um with that said i'm gonna ask rachel what this book is about Oh, the Forever War is basically a war story, uh, a, a big allegory to the Vietnam War, I think. It actually takes place in the 90s, uh, so reading it is kind of anachronistic. It's like an alternate future in which um, people born in the 70s grow up to fight in a war and because of time dilation and relativity, they end up living for hundreds and hundreds of years but it's only like 10 years for them. And it's a, a war of humans against kind of an unnamed, unknown, uh, misunderstood enemy called the Torrens. And it's just a series of military engagements and basically kind of an examination of the passage of time. Uh, because every time he comes back to a place that he's been before, whether that's a base or earth, it's completely different because it's always hundreds of years later. And it's kind of sad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, um, that's definitely um, a good sort of intro to the book. One thing I would I would clarify is that th this is an alien species and we are fighting mm -hmm. them in outer space. So that's why there's the time dilation um, of near light speed travel. Um, so it's, it's not just that Earth is engaged in an endless war like with something it's we're taking it to the Tarans out there in the beyond so yeah and it's like an endless war that the majority of humanity doesn't participate in <laughs> like besides their economy which obviously obviously drives the is driven by the military complex yeah so there are okay, this is going to be one of those podcasts you'll just have to bear with us where we talk back and forth on themes and subjects and fold them back in because that's kind of the nature of this story. It has a lot of recurring themes. It also has several different time periods. Um, so even though the plot is actually fairly simple because it's told from the point of view of a soldier, not someone in high command, not someone in intelligence or who really has the big picture. It's just this guy following his orders. It does span so much and just, you know, things come up again and again, or you have to like talk one thing down to its end and then go back. Um, so very quickly we can talk about the characters that are 
worth mentioning. Um, then <laughs> <laughs> Rachel and I are laughing because there's basically two people whose names you remember at the end of the book. Um, the first is the narrator, William Mandela. Um, and the other is a girl in who starts in his same, uh, recruit group named Mary Gay Potter. And she sort of goes through the war with him. Um, so she's kind of like the one constant character, uh, throughout the whole book. Mm-hmm. And other, otherwise it seems like, a lot of the characters are, are meant to be interchangeable. It's the other guys in the unit and guys is inclusive. It's women and men, but the other, the other grunts in his unit. And then once he's on his second deployment and, you know, has a little bit of authority, it's the people that the new recruits that he has, you know, has to get in line. And then it's when he's a major of a company, it's his squad and his lieutenants and they're all, as they have distinct like group personalities for the time and place that they are, but to him, they're just, or at least to the, maybe not to him, but to the reader, they sort of blend together. I think that's also a product of the story itself. You learn really early on in the book, not to get attached to anyone because everyone dies. (laughs) So anytime you meet a new character, you're like, yeah, 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 whatever. I don't need to name (laughs) you. Right. Yeah. It it does start to have that feel. Well, I I mean, at one point in the, in the book, uh, that William Mandela actually goes through and calculates out the odds of surviving each engagement Mm -hmm. and each deployment to actually go through your, you know, two years or five years or 10 years subjective time in service. And it comes out to something like 0.1 or 0.01% of a chance to survive. So like he, he lays it out there that nobody should be making it through. Right. So can we start, let's start at the, at at the very beginning. So when the war kind of begins, right. I mean, the, the war has been engaged and he's being sent to his first kind of training area but it's like the 90s and his commanding officers are people who actually served in vietnam yeah so they've they've gone from like you know the 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 jungle fighting of vietnam to space fighting (laughs) (laughs) so it presumes being published in the 70s kind of a humongous jump in technology in 20 years right and also a really like a, a like a huge jump in in social social behavior because there's men and women uh serving together in combat uh and the people that are being conscripted into this service are not you know physically superior or anything they're all like the smart kids yeah i i think that's important to emphasize that it's a draft situation none of this is like volunteers these are not people who wanted to go do this um but yeah the basically the military thought well if it's in outer space we need the absolute smartest people we can fighting this war um because of course you want to have every tactical advantage against an alien enemy um so it's not and 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 there is somewhat of a he doesn't really go into this but the fact is when you have technology like body suits i'm thinking like the pacific rim stuff yeah um or uh, or what was the one with Tom Cruise where he the day after tomorrow I think yeah. or he keeps coming back over and over like that kind of suit it's an equalizer you don't have to be bigger or stronger to use it well you right have... it's like more a finesse than it is about exactly yeah 
It's just weird to me that, okay, I mean, yeah, all right, fine. There's some sort of, some sort of discovery of these jump gates. Not, they're not, you know, they're like wormholes. And that spurs all of their technological advancement really quickly. And then assuming that because it's a war and, you know, war, you know, boosts economies and advances technology, at least war technologies, um, I guess that's believable to me, but it's really interesting that he felt that in 20 years we would not only be allowing women to serve on the front lines, but also, like, preferring it. That, like, I mean, they have that, that, I mean, especially when it starts out when they're bunking together, it's mandatory for them to bunk. Like, there's, there's it's half men and half women in the sort of platoon, and it, every night they have to bunk with someone different. <laughs> yeah. It's, like, just, it's it's mandatory. Like, they don't have a choice. Yeah, um, there was, uh, yeah, like that, it, that, that was problematic, I think, for, for both Rachel and I, um, reading through this, because it, it was just sort of brushed over, and a, a lot of implications just kind of slid past without being directly said, um, but, yeah, it was, everybody, it's like, they, they actually talked at one point, just a throwaway line about having a sleep roster, where, like, you were assigned who you were going to bunk with and it was just sort of assumed that you know you got to have sex and Mm um i don't know there wasn't really much discussion of consent on either side but you know my perspective as a female is i was fairly disturbed by this that if i'm being drafted into a military situation and then expected you know to perform that kind of service 50 different dudes yeah (laughs) you know um yeah so I actually, uh, because I was, you know, I was so upset, not upset, like, oh God, I can't keep reading, you know, but I was so disturbed by that. And and it was something that slid past me the first time I read this book. Um, but I, I asked, um, one of my, one of my mom figures who is the, uh, widow of a Vietnam vet, what her perspective on it was. And, you know, her take was that it could have been done to sort of cement uh, camaraderie within the platoon itself that basically, you know, if you're supposed to be brothers in arms, that you would, that it wouldn't be um, intrusive to be like physically close with people in that way, because it's any one of them is, you know, your, your brother in arms They're they're, you know, that's just what you do. And yeah. Um, so that it could have been encouraged as like a bonding thing, or it could have been something like her, her take was also, well, maybe the women are very practical and they're thinking, well, you know, the guys that are fucking me are going to be more protective of me. If it were a normal like combat situation, maybe there would be some logic to that. But in space with technology, I, you know, I didn't think that was really likely. Um, Yeah. I mean, my personal theory I put sort of like my seventies and eighties goggles on when reading this book, obviously, but it, yeah. you know, like when you watch like uh, movies like alien, right? Like where they do have mixed crews mm-hmm. uh, and it's very, and I mean, yes, I'm aware that, 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 that Ripley's character was written as a man first and they didn't do a lot to change it when they cast a woman, but it, that, that kind of theme comes up. Like if you watch the Terminator movies or even like, you know, more family friendly stuff like the abyss, there's always like these mixed crews that are like on the edges of society and they have like that camaraderie, right? Where it's like, everyone's kind of a guy. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how this book presented women. Like, you know, the main character, William, he does comment on like, Oh, you know, 
like her butt or her figure is nice but in the end like they don't the characters themselves are not like more or less like female or male they're just soldiers right um beyond the sex part right like obviously it's called out when they're when they are having sex but i think it's also the author's way of naively because obviously he's a dude and he's writing from his perspective thinking that he's getting rid of rape Mm-hmm. Like he's like, I don't want to deal with rape. I don't want to talk about it. And he's like, and I'm I'm putting all of these people in a can for hundreds of years, and I'm just I don't <laughs> want them to rape each other. So I think the way that I'll do that is just make sure that everyone is sexually sexually satisfied and not pining after someone that they don't have access to. Right. And I think that that's kind of like, all right, I can see a dude writer in the seventies like thinking that solves the rape problem. But what he's really doing is as like forcing women to have sex with men. That it's like it's not really removing rape but yeah one one other thing that um that that the lady i talked to said is that there probably would have been military standards of conduct like it Mm -hmm. would have been explicitly said that you can't do these things like you couldn't like be painful or degrading you would have to treat your partner with respect so Mm -hmm. in that sense it would be almost a codified behavior um as well yeah, and he did throw in a couple orgies. You know, he's got to salute. He's got to salute the old, the old sci-fi classic, the orgy. <laughs> he's got to throw that in there. Uh, it is kind of weird, though, how much this book did become about sex. Yeah, I I was actually shocked rereading this because I like I remembered it coming up. Um, actually when we were talking about ancillary justice and one of my questions, you know, honestly meant was, you know, could this book have, have worked with the gender neutral thing if it had been written earlier? Because, you know, our society now is so accustomed to seeing like same sex couples. It really like, oh, two, two people with the same pronoun that might actually be two women, you know, it, it, but this was the book that I was thinking of most when when I said that because mm-hmm. he like the it actually does come up very explicitly when you know he goes back to a different society than he left and it is much more open to homosexuality and then even later like focused on homosexuality for population control and he um, like really struggles with it you know it, be, it does become a theme of the book but. I was thinking just in in the sense of, you know, reading, like writing for the audience of your time, that's mm. kind of like, this is how you fit that in and sort of start to introduce the idea or normalize it. But it's very clearly, this is not us, at least not yet. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think it's interesting because this was written in the seventies and it, you know, it starts out where it's mandatory heterosexuality. And then the middle part of the book is kind of broken into two parts where it's like so it's like the first part of the book is like how he becomes a soldier in his first engagement and the second part of the book is his injury and return to earth and then his his re-enlistment and then the third part of the book is the final confrontation with Torrens and you know how he gets out of the war Mm -hmm. so that middle part is kind of weird and I have like I've never read the original version obviously because this is the first time I'm reading it but I'm wondering if the part that was that was taken out is the part on earth yeah, I don't know. Um, because it's so kind of weird and, like, hippie communes and, like, pe- roving <laughs> bands of raiders. And then, like, you go into the cities and it's, like, Judge Dread, And <laughs> he's like, yeah, Earth sucks. I'm going to go back into the army. You know, maybe maybe in another hundred years or so this won't be so shitty. Uh, 
But it's interesting that in that period, that's when, like, you know, okay, then people are 30% homosexual. And then at the end, like, everyone's homosexual and he's the queer one. Like, they call him queer. And... I'm like, okay, that's interesting from the seven, from the point of view of the seventies, because, you know, that's assuming that we're going to have all of these, all of these homosexuals in the future. Whereas the eighties wiped out so many homosexuals because of, you know, the Reagan administration and all the other bullshit that happened. So, and AIDS. So it's, it's just interesting that it wasn't, it wasn't like a fear of homosexuality. It was like this idea that we were going to lose our virility, like our, as a species, like our will to procreate in like the heteronormative way, and like the, I don't know, it was very strange. Like homosexuality <laughs> as, as control. Yeah, well, it. Um, I mean, the the point where you know everyone's kind of thirty percent. I guess this was right after he reenlists, and it, and he's looking at his new recruits coming in, and you know he can't tell who's who's straight and who's not because mm-hmm. the, the the males in general have like i guess what we would consider now sort of a metrosexual vibe to them where like they'll wear makeup and have like you know made up nails and they don't they don't fit what his sort of view of masculinity and like heterosexual right. masculinity well, it's been, is it's been like 300 years like well, i don't think 300 we would go back 300 <laughs> years and be like what the hell is happening what is this no exactly so i mean and it, it is um if you, if you look at the book like with sort of your glasses off it's a really great yeah. um it's a really great narrative about the arbitrariness of social values and that includes like sexuality that includes um how you interact with each other that includes language um you know, yeah, because, he has the, the, the accent slide where at the end he they have to learn of they all have to all of his soldiers have to learn his English in order to communicate with him. Just the one guy instead <laughs> of teaching him how to speak to them. It's interesting. Yeah, so um it yeah, definitely definitely from a from not not looking at at all the too nitty gritty details of how he handled these themes, like it actually is a really cool like I think book about about those themes, um, yeah. But it's it's definitely a novel of its time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh, it's it's such a weird. I mean, obviously, and this might this might be a book that warrants another read. So that it's like, okay, I've read it. I've like been obsessed with the sexuality in this book. You know, I, maybe I can get over it and read it again and notice all the other details. Uh, because I think you're right. I think there is something interesting going on with the arbitrariness because it's not just sexuality. It's also fashion and communication mm-hmm. styles uh, and like what people want as a culture. Cause like when he goes back to earth for that one time and you know, he's, he's able to see his mother and his brother in that time period and like live in the city. And there's other weird shit that's going on. Like his mother gets sick and dies because she's not allowed, uh, healthcare because when you turn 70, everyone gets a rating and she got a zero rating, which is what most people get. So it's like after 70, we're not going to, we're not going to invest in caring for you anymore. You should just die. Yeah. Like if you get the flu, like good luck. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's interesting because when he calls his, when he calls his brother to be like, mom's dead, his brother has like defected to the moon, which apparently is its own own government. He's like, no, no, come here. We don't kill our old people. The the moon's like the, uh, uh, the libertarian, you know, floating island idea. Like they're like, we're getting the fuck off of that and doing our own thing. (laughs) 
Yeah. And, and like, him and Mary Gay, like, use all, you know, because they're rich because they've had, like, 200 years of back pay. So they're, like, trying to go on vacation, but everywhere they go is shitty. And they're like, maybe we should go in the, in the woods and go hiking where there are no people. And it's like, no, that's worse. That's Walking Dead. Like, don't go in there. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to make a call back to reading Arcana Chronicles because I was like, <laughs> this is the same, like, landscape. It's, it's for a different reason. In this case, it's overpopulation. Um that creates the scarcity of resources as, as opposed to this um, event that's decimated the resources of the world. But still, I was like, this is the exact same shit. There's like the the zombies and the cannibals and the uh, the army that's just going to come like roll through and like take your shit and leave you for dead if you're lucky. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I like that he invents credit cards. Like, he's like, oh, all of my money is on this tiny little computer that I carry around and I put my thumb on it. And it's like the size of a wallet. And I'm like, it's a credit card, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. It's PayPal. It's your phone. (laughs) (laughs) Um but the, and then the, they've replaced. So, yeah, they replace the whole world. The whole earth, you know, has a unified kind of government, unified ish kind of government. And. They've replaced money with calories. And he kind of like, he's like, this is stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Well, especially because what immediately happens, like, what immediately happens once the sort of severe rationing where they they actually did mean literal calories is over is that everyone starts sort of trading, like, calories for services and, like, basically using it as a currency. Well, this stands for this much labor or this much time or this many, like, goods of this quality. And he's like, why don't they just go back to using dollars? <laughs> because then it just makes it really confusing. Are you talking no, about No, because it? it's like, it's something that he understands. It's yeah. it, it's weird to me that he, he remains, he does not, like, they're like, hey, do you want to, do you want to read this book about what's happened in the last 300 years? He's like, no. I, I thought that was really weird that he's just like, oh, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do the work to catch up. I'm just one guy. <laughs> okay. So I actually think that that mentality though is part of. Um, is a big part of, of who, the, who the character kind of is because he is um, like he is conscripted and he does not expect to live through this and that, that comes up over and over that he's basically kind of um, expecting to die and, and not to it, it's not a fatalism to um, I guess the point of suicide uh, or wanting to actually like bring things to an end prematurely but it is a fatalism of well i'm not going to save for the future i'm not going to bother to learn any of this shit because i go out on a deployment you know and they'll come back and society's going to be completely different again so what's the point um yeah yeah kind of of thing he's like he's he's doing like just enough to not like to not be so passive he gets himself killed but not anymore like it's and, and that's kind of his attitude toward the whole like throughout the the yeah he deals a lot with kind of they skirt around the idea of ptsd that Mm -hmm. you know like that they were they were asked to kill and forced to kill that he's naturally a pacifist but because of of brainwashing and uh, and you know hypnotic suggestions and just the idea of and just you know survival that he's he's mm-hmm. killed and, and seen people killed in really terrible ways and that he's willing to continue doing that violence to as his life continues. Like, he kills a person on Earth to protect someone else, but he still kills them and doesn't really feel bad about it. And I, th- and I think that, yeah. like, bothers him. Yeah. Um, well, interestingly, I think the, uh, 
you know, you were saying that most of the characters don't have a lot of male-female differentiation. Like, the one element that could be argued as a feminization uh, um, is with Mary Gay, and she really, like, always has a problem killing. Like, mm-hmm. William is able to sort of, like, look at this situation, and in some contexts, it does bother him. In some contexts, he's like, no, that was the right action, um, or at least... I, it's an action. It wasn't the wrong action. I don't regret it. But she always has like this sort of reluctance and guilt, and um, she's like she's bothered by it no matter what the context is, which um, you know isn't necessarily a female trait, but is a traditionally female trait. So yeah. you know, it's yeah. like the one way that she that she's differentiated as clearly like the quote softer, weaker sex, which is again arguable but that's like the one way that she's really presented as a female and that's like the one person that's presented as anything other than kind of like each other i don't know yeah i mean it's interesting because when you know when you first meet mary gay you're kind of like whatever she's just another girl that he, he bunks with yeah and then suddenly it's like oh i've i've bunked with you enough we're we're paired off <laughs> Right, yeah, it, it's 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 interesting because, and actually, this is one of the uh, I think the techniques that the author uses very intentionally with because this this book has a very sparse prose style, um, and I think part of that is you know in keeping with the fact that it's military science fiction and military information is like infamous for being brusque and like literally only what you need to know, um, but that's how this book is written like the whole the whole way through. It's for the most part only what you need to know the, the only the facts relevant to the situation at hand and so when mary gay is introduced it's basically i was bunking with potter again and you know or something like that right. and no more is said there's no real implication that she means more to him than any of the others um but it's clear by even the end of the like their initial deployment that they do have something special between them and um And who knows whether that was there from day one or whether it slowly developed. Like, we're not privy to any of that. But, you know, also just the, like, you know, that's the example that we're talking about. But there are several things that happen that way where he'll just put something there and, like, leaves this detail floating. And then when it comes back, it fits in a different place than I at least, you know, was projecting it to fit. And I I think that was very intentional on his part. Yeah. And, and like, Mary Gay goes through her own problems. Like, you know, she's the victim of of um they're called the the jump shells uh, you know hers doesn't work so great and it hurts her mm-hmm. and and so we're seen with this kind of na- you know we're presented with a naked woman who's covered in bruises or who has like a terrible injury and her like insides are coming out and they're having to like perform surgery on her to save her and so yeah she's she's definitely put in situations where she's probably a little bit more sympathetic um and traditionally feminine compared to the situations mm-hmm. that Mandela gets himself into. He's, he's very much, he's kind of like, he gets, he gets injured. I mean, he loses his leg at that one point, but he's, he, he, mm-hmm. he deals with everything like kind of okay. Yeah. But even at the end, you're like, yes, you deserve to go live on a really nice planet somewhere. <laughs> like, yes, you deserve to go live in the colony of old queers where all of you are into the old in and out with the opposite sex and yeah. like okay with the idea of babies being born like by women and not test tubes. Yeah. 
it's it's kind of weird like all right so we you know we've read bitter we've read don't bite the sun um which mm-hmm. was also kind of like this rediscovery it's like we have lost this this idea mm-hmm. of like monogamous pairing had you know and like and and parenthood and in the life giving you know traditions of women and all that stuff and and here it is again and both of those books are sort of contemporaneous so clearly in mm-hmm. the 70s i was not alive in the 70s people were really concerned that somehow we were moving away from procreation <laughs> <laughs> well i mean if, if if you if you do step back and look at some of the social anxieties of the time like um the uh, the amount of social change that happened within like I mean technically it might have been two generations because mm-hmm. generations are what like fifteen years you know rather than like twenty thirty sometimes depending on definition oh yeah the sixties like compared the, to the seventies is but crazy the amount well the I was gonna say the amount of social change between like the the you know World War Two vets coming home and like what the social norms were for at this point like my grandparents generation versus my parents generation. Like, they were huge. Like, they were extreme. And, you know, the the differences in expectation between my, like, the World War II generation and the World War One generation were pretty extreme. Yeah. So, like, you, ha- like, looking at it from, you know, say, like, 72 or whatever when he's conceptualizing this book, if you look back at, like, the last 100 years, even the last 50 years um, of change, it's been, like, this exponential like shift in social dynamics and that did include um well because 50 years ago women would have just been getting like the actual constitutional right to vote um, birth control is, birth control became you know thing. like we didn't yeah, have that before um, yeah and, and you know by the 70s a lot of women are like working out of outside of the home and you're starting to see like actual like the, the the normalization of divorce where you then have split families and single moms um, and the dissolution of what had sort of been considered this inviolable family unit. And so to some extent, it's probably like a projection of how far does this go? Like how far, mm-hmm. like, is it a pendulum where it's going to swing back and equalize? Or is it just like we're shooting off into the unknown? We're all going to be homo! Rate? Like... <laughs> <laughs> Well, by the by the end, they were all nothing. Like there yeah. was there was no sexuality. It was, um, I mean, because when the uh, the final the final sort of scene, it's not even the final act. It's like the the denouement of the of the novel is him coming back home from his third deployment, and to find that the, the war is over and humanity has become a cloned hive mind. That basically, um, at some point they started instead of having i guess the um selected selecting the the babies to be born from mixed dna of multiple parents they decided well, this 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 one this set of dna is the apex of humanity and so we're just going to clone it and it's described as something like billions of individuals but one mind and um so it's the bodies have male and female genders but they don't have a lot of personality and certainly in and of themselves they seem like they're cerebral and beyond any thought of you know sexual needs or anything they'll service you but it's kind of like an android yeah you know like the and like the data on star trek style of android too where it's i i would like to experience emotions captain <laughs> but 
I don't know what they are. <laughs> <laughs> and one of one of the uh, one of the guys that comes back with with William actually tries it, and he's like, "No, <laughs> never again." That was awful. Like, like it traumatized it? him. Have you tried it? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because empathy is needed for for that. Um, I think it's it's funny that you. So yeah, I think that that's like a really great way to kind of put everything in context. And it's funny to me because every time I think about like the women of of you know, the seventies, um, I think, well, yeah, their, their mothers were the women that kept the country going during world war Mm two. They were the women that had years on their own and who were then Mm -hmm. told, Oh, by the way, you're fired. Now you have to go be a housewife after kind of being shown the wonderful new world. It's like Dorothy being told that she has to go back to Kansas when she wasn't ready and i just kind of think well yeah of course they they raised daughters that were mm-hmm. not content with that life um yeah so yeah i think it's interesting i mean i like i you know and we've read we read don't bite the sun and that's kind of like the female take on this kind of this this worry this anxiety uh but yeah i i it, Definitely that stuff was more interesting to me than, like, some of the, especially near the end, some of the endless pages of (laughs) calculate. Like, I'm like, I don't care where you are or what the math means or, like, it's fine. I believe you. You're on a weird planet. Everything's made of hydrocarbon. (laughs) You're sliding around. Like, I didn't, There, it got so sparse that I kind of didn't understand what was happening at some points. Like, when they're in, when they're in the, the field... Right? I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. the field. I don't understand the field, but I was sure the field was going to come up again, and lo and behold, it did. And I'm like, okay, they're mm-hmm. in the field. Nothing electric can work in the field. Nothing, like, no electricity. Like, bombs don't work. Um, you know, like, people are kind of at a, like, you move slower. You're at, like, a, you're almost, you're, you're, your vitals go down. But everybody was still shuffling around and communicating and throwing shit. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> well, it was... Because they all had their special suits on. Like, it, it was this, they, they called it a stasis field, and it was, like, I, I picture it as, like, a, almost like a dome of invisible gel that just, like, slows all of, like, the molecules of everything down really far. And it basically it is to prevent any, um, like, the intrusion of any laser or, um, like, laser weapons or, like, nuclear fallout or something. Mm-hmm. Um on an attack like they can bombs, fight each other with sticks like whatever <laughs> but 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 like physical things can still penetrate and I, I guess the assumption is that you know there's not that there when the stasis field was created it was like well we're not fighting with physical objects anymore um so it it's it is kind of a weakness of it it that it that it does allow like darts to come through or arrows or things like that. It reminded like that. me of like a really um, big version of the shield belts in Dune, <laughs> because they have like <laughs> they have these little personal force fields, and if you shoot anything or like use lasers, like it just bounces off. You're protected, but if you like move your hand mm-hmm. real slow, you can like get in there and like stab people. So that's like the conceit for why all these people in the super far future are carrying around knives. But Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, it's a giant shield belt. But I'm like, but it's also dark and they can't see out of it. Yeah. Um, there's, there's definitely a point where, um, the, the technology becomes a lot of like finger waggling and like, let's just list off a bunch of shit to make your eyes cross and hope nobody like reads it too closely. Um, (laughs) 
there was like a whole like ten but, page section in that like third that third section of the book where I was like, oh my god, what? I don't even know what's happening anymore. I'm like, okay, they built something. <laughs> now they're moving shit around. Now his platoon doesn't like him. <laughs> like that one guy went crazy and tried to kill him. I'm like, why is this happening? <laughs> But if, yeah, and he, like, didn't want to execute him, so his doctor executed him and was like, no, what? No, I tried to resuscitate him. He's like, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't give him a hypodermic needle and try to kill him? No. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> I think that goes back to, like, earlier when he is, is getting his, like, psych eval and they were like, look, you're not really, like, a leader. You're not, like, an inspiration, but you've been in the war longer than anyone else, so it's kind of more like seniority, and yeah. you feel like you need to empathize with people, and you want everyone to be your friend, and he's, of course, that happened. He's like, don't call me Colonel. Call me William. <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's happening. Psychology is real. <laughs> Yeah, um, the, uh, I I don't know that he was necessarily a complete disaster as an officer, but he definitely was not, um... Well, like, during the combat, he would, like, hide. He wasn't the Commodore. He's like, like, I don't care who who survives. I don't care what's happening. I'm just gonna go hide. (laughs) I'm like, you do you, you Mandela. You do you. (laughs) You, uh, I don't know if, I don't know if you're gonna know the reference, but I just, like, shake my head... I hate, I fucking hate officers. So does Kelly. <laughs> like, if you've seen Kelly's Heroes, that movie is not kind to officers. <laughs> but, I mean, that's, that's part of, like, the uh, the whole um, thing that came out of of Vietnam. Like, a lot of the, the media of the time that is either explicitly or, or implicitly about, like, the war and people's experiences of it or perception of it. Like, it's not kind to the military. This book is not kind. Yeah. Like, the, the whole book is basically, Oh, yeah, like, it's a faceless the, machine like, that chews up the best of a generation and spits them out and doesn't care if they're, if they live or die. Yeah, and, like, the, they don't, they don't, they don't take, they, there's no nuance to it. There's no, con- like, context. It's like, you're a body that will fill this slot without, like, stopping to think, is this the best like, is this the right body to fill this spot? Mm-hmm. You know, things like that. Um, and the only time that his physics comes into play is at the end when he's trying to figure out when they can turn the stasis field off and not be radiated. That's it. Right. And and, and his and his answer is, like, three days divergent from, like, the max... Like, his minimum is, like, three days divergent from the maximum of the current physics physicist. And he's yeah. like, you know what? We're doing it my way. I don't care. <laughs> three Fuck extra you. I'm days will <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> We've waited this long. And he just spends like all those extra days like redoing his math. And he's like, no, my math is still good. It's still good. <laughs> yes. Um, well, okay. So this is actually um, something that I found really fascinating about the book, though, um, that folds the relativity back in is that the apparently there are, are hundreds of engagements between the humans and the Tarans over the course of this war. Mm-hmm. But um, because of the way the the wormholes sort of work and the distances involved, um, with any given um, meet, like meeting of the two, you never know whether you're going to be like ad- ahead of them or behind them or equal to them with technology. And so, um, to your point about the physical objects coming into the stasis field, like the Tarans know to throw darts in, like poison darts in. Well, so obviously they have encountered stasis fields um, enough times prior to this particular engagement that, 
you know, William is involved with that the force the Tarans send is aware of what a stasis field is and how it can be beaten. And so, like, that was, to me, that was probably the best kind of, like, high concept um, aspect of this whole book was just, like, this idea that I'm fighting, like, with the enemy from my future. Or, like, I'm, you know, or maybe I'm going to be fighting with the enemy from my past, just depending on how, like, the technology... Um, that was sent to that particular meeting point happens to meet up. And that part, I just, I still like, I have chills right now. Just like thinking about it. It's such a cool like idea. Yeah. To me. I like that too, because again, it, t- it would take them sometimes a hundred years to even get to their engagement area. And that means mm-hmm. that like back on earth or, you know, wherever the base is, the people that are making decisions are living and dying. And, they don't know. All they know is they have data that says there's a mission out there that's going to conclude, you know, around this time. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully they'll bring us more information. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, that's a crazy way to fight a war. And when it comes out that but the yet- Tarans are, are like a hive mind, it's almost crazy to me that that the humans were on the path to win because they would really have have been very reliant on, on survivors returning and giving them information. Whereas if, if the Torrens mm-hmm. are a hive mind, then everybody knows everything, right? Yeah. Well, so here's, um, here, here's a, another interesting aspect because he doesn't discuss this at all. O- obviously humans don't have the, the quote Ansible technology. Mm-hmm. They don't have any faster than light, um, excuse me, um, communication methods. So the, like, the question becomes, do the Tarans, are they dependent on a survivor getting back to report, or does it, like, automatically upload, and is there a delay? Like, does distance matter, or are they truly a hive mind where, like, everything sort of happens simultaneously for all of them across the universe, and that kind of becomes, like, a serious mindfuck with, like, actual relativity of perspective, but... Um, it must, I, I mean, know. the humans had trounced them at some, well, man, they're not even humans anymore. They're just mm-hmm. man. Uh, when, when they had trounced them so like heavily and obviously, you know, they had ended the war because they were able to communicate and they were like, brah. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, brah, I don't know, man. I don't stop hitting me. It's like, well, you hit me first. It's like, well, <laughs> let's just stop hitting each other. And it's like, okay, we're done. The war's over. <laughs> uh, I, I think that's yeah. clearly <laughs> like a throwback to Vietnam because it's like, why are we fighting this war? Nobody knows. Mm-hmm. It's not about us. That's for damn sure. And, mm-hmm. and they must not be able to communicate effectively instantaneously or if they do their brains just must suck at military because it it, it does come out that they're mm-hmm. pacifists like right they don't like the yeah. first torrents that mandela encounters they just like walk into their laser <laughs> like <laughs> like oh you're killing yeah them. it's fine <laughs> yeah um well I mean, yeah, because there's there's a line about the Tarans having to sort of, like, learn tactics from the humans. Um, So even if there was instantaneous communication, it would maybe take a few engagements for them to to catch up. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. But the thing is, um, I mean, you know, you were saying, like, what a crazy way to fight a war to just, like, send an expedition out with their orders and you won't know what happens until long after it's done. Like, that's kind of how wars got fought for most of human history. Um, and 
I mean, there's there's examples in you know, all all over the place in military history, or not even military history, just like history, because so much of human history is about wars. Right. Um, but there there are a lot of examples of times where a battle was kind of needlessly fought because word of the you know surrender hadn't reached everybody. I mean, my my favorite example is always the Battle of New Orleans. That's just because I used to live in New Orleans, so you know. Um, but that was that was fought like two weeks before word came from um, Washington that the war was over, the War of eighteen twelve, and. So, you know, you kind of think, I, I remember like sitting in history class, like reading that and just feeling so sad yeah, that like those, you know, no th- thousand people like lost their lives for literally no reason because it was already over. Um, so I think this was, it, well, it's it relative, was a right? To, I mean, and I say that on yeah. purpose, like yeah. it's, it was over for the people in Washington that were orchestrating the war, but who were not fighting it. Mm-hmm. But what about the people actually fighting it? And, and, and they didn't mm-hmm. know why half the time they didn't know why they were fighting anyway. They just had, they just had orders. Exactly. And does the reason really matter whether or not it's over? Like they're just hoping to last until it's over. They don't care one way or mm-hmm. the other, really. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's a nice examination of of like being a soldier in a war that you're not really like you don't really believe in. You weren't. It wasn't a calling. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like you know. And I'm sure most of the men that fought in Vietnam felt that way. Like it wasn't. Mm-hmm. They didn't feel the need to like go and, and and do this they were forced to um right and that's definitely a way different you know because we think we think of the civil war you know like we think of world war Two. we think of like you had a calling you had a purpose you knew what you were doing mattered uh and that has to be really demoralizing to to not feel that way i mean it's demoralizing anyway to be in war but Right, but especially if it's something that you don't even know, like, what it's about. Yeah. Like, then it, it literally does sort of become this, like, day-to-day survival. Like, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to do just enough and no more. Right. Well, that's how they felt, right? It was like, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, like, they, you know, my, one of my favorite parts of the book is the training part, right? I mean, obviously, because it's mm-hmm. before anything got really horrible. <laughs> and it's, like, it's, <laughs> like, it's, I mean, like, 50 people died, but, like, whatever. They're still having fun and, like, learning how to use Oh, no, they only... <laughs> They only lost 11 in, in training, but they're, you know, their um, drill sergeant's like, I'll be happy if 50% of you, you know, graduate from this. If you don't graduate, it means you're dead. Yeah, it means you're dead. <laughs> and then, like, their graduation ceremony is, I'm going to try to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> For real, I'm going to try to kill you. And it's like, I like that part about, you know, like, this is how your suit works, and this is how friction works, mm-hmm. and this is how heat dissipation works, and... Like, that all reminded me of, like, reading, like, The Martian or, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. It felt, like, really science-y. So I liked that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Parts that I wasn't so fond of were the Arcana Chronicles part where I was just, like, I was, like, everything is <laughs> terrible. <laughs> I'm, like, oh, my God, it sucks here. I don't want to live here. And you know what was really upsetting to me, Elena? And I, I get that I am living in New York. I felt like, oh, my God, this is our future. <laughs> accurate portrayal of like the of like the horrible future that we have to look forward to where it's just like everyone's unemployed and we're all just like trading calories back and forth and we have wars (laughs) that we don't understand why we're in them but they're driving our economy so we can't end them and like you know judge dread type giant apartment buildings where you can't even ride the elevators without being mugged and killed and unless you hire a bodyguard hire a bodyguard 
And then it's like, but some people grow their own food just to get extra calories. And I'm just like, oh my God, in 20 years, I could be, I could be Mandela's mother. I don't like it. I don't. It was very disturbing as I'm riding, riding on overcrowded late fucking trains in New York where nothing works and everything smells bad. And I'm just reading this book. I'm like, this is real. <laughs> he was only off by 20 years yeah I'm like, <laughs> actually no because by yeah. the timeline of the book like it is now <laughs> the the only thing missing are the uh, like bands of marauders that kill you which hey give it a couple years <laughs> just... oh my god like let's not talk about that <laughs> this is our happy place this is our happy I just place felt, i did not like the middle part of the book okay it was too real well you know you know you know, Rachel, as we continue to do, we're going to have our separate lives. You'll be the one, like, living in, like, uh, Peachtree Tower in the city mm-hmm. with Judge Dredd, and I'll be the one on the fucking commune, like, growing <laughs> an acre of yeah. potatoes and, like, sitting pretty until, like, I get, you know, shot in a ditch. <laughs> I hated it. I hated it. It was, this is like, it's like why I don't watch zombie movies. I don't like zombies. And mm-hmm. I, I don't watch The Walking Dead. I don't. I just don't like zombies. And like Joey played The Last of Us, and I would have to leave the room. Like I think the only zombie thing that I've ever really sat through <laughs> is Shaun of the Dead, and even then, it's too gory for me. I don't like zombie movies mm-hmm. because they're too real for me. And I know that sounds absurd, but I feel like if we are ever in that situation, that's exactly what's going to happen. We're all going to kill each other. And I say this as a resident mm-hmm. of New York City: if this shit mm-hmm. goes down, I'm not getting out of here. Right? Like, what am I supposed to do? Head out to Long Island or brave the George Washington Bridge? It's over for me. Like, I don't get to go to the yeah. mountains. <laughs> I don't get to subsistence farm. I don't get to have that love. I'm one of the shitty people that die in the cities and turn into a zombie. So I don't like it. And that's the feeling that the middle part of the book gave me. So two stars yeah. to the middle of the book. <laughs> yes. Um... <laughs> I liked heaven. Heaven was nice. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the very um, ironically named heaven, which is basically a resort where they, it's recommended for soldiers coming back from, you know, from a deployment when they have like 200 years of back pay with interest that they, that everyone's like, oh my God, we got to get this money back in the uh, economy. So how can I, let's just make this place where we send them to go spend all their money because they know they're not coming home again. So like, Mm -hmm. you know, might as well blow through it. But at least it's (laughs) like good shit, right? They're not getting charged like $400,000 for like a crappy bottle of distilled like pee water, right? Like they're on a nice planet. It's really, it's like Disneyland, right? Like there's like a jungle town and a desert town and like a sky town. I'm like, this is a great place. Mm -hmm. I want to go there. (laughs) (laughs) And him and 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 Mary Gay are like, oh, we're going to love it. You know that doctor that's like patching them up and he's like, you're never going to love each other again because every time you look at each other, you'll see the limbs that are missing. (laughs) Uh (laughs) What? And then they get there, and he's like, oh, man, yeah, these are ugly. And then the doctor's like, no, 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 you're growing a whole new leg. It's going to be fine. You won't even know the difference. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because on their second deployment, um, both of them lose a limb, and the uh, the, the doctor who sort of, like, puts him, I guess, under the for the flight doctor, home, yeah. the field medic, you know, is... Um, is very cynical and then they they get home and this is the point where i guess it's what like 300 
it's been like a 300 year lapse instead mm-hmm. of just 20. So like there really is this huge technological boost, not just social change, but in this case, it was also a huge technology change. Um, and so they're like, yeah, no, you just have to lay in a bed for a few weeks with a bag of re- regenerating cells. Like what's the big deal? <laughs> I mean, it hurts, it's but a- <laughs> you're going to have a, you're going to have a leg at the end and you won't like, you won't distrust yeah. each other and like fall out of love because somebody has got a metal <laughs> arm. It was so, I was like, Oh man, this guy needs to get to heaven. <laughs> it's like, all he does is go around vacuum up, pe- vacuuming up pieces of soldiers. So, you know, I mean, like, that guy's job sucks. Like, Mandela doesn't even have it the worst, I don't think. But, yeah, it's not, like, that scene where he's in the desert when him and Mary... So, him and Mary Gay feel like, you know, oh, we're going to be deployed again. They know that, and they have fun. And then they get their Mm -hmm. orders, and they realize they're being separated. And because of relativity, they know that they're being separated forever. Because if one person goes one place and one person goes the other, they're just, you know, hundreds of years go by, and you just... You're never going to hook up again. One of them will die first. And, and that's where he calculates the odds of surviving anyway. And he's like, I mean, we're not both going to survive. Hell, either of us would be lucky, like, to survive. But even if we both do, we'll die 100, you know, 200 years apart because, you know, of, of the time lapse. And um, Yeah, and there's that scene in the desert where they, like, have to say goodbye to each other. And Yeah. Um, <gasps> this is so I, can, I, can I actually read that, yeah. that part? Because... Um, because I, I found it, like, this book doesn't spare a lot of time for poetry, but I found this scene, like, heartbreaking. Um, and it's, um, I don't know. So she has, uh, you know, we, so here, uh, we had a day and a night together. The less said about that, the better. It wasn't just losing a lover. Mary Gay and I were each other's only link to real life, the earth of the 1980s and 90s. Not the perverse grotesquerie we were supposedly fighting to preserve. When her shuttle took off, it was like a casket, casket rattling down into a grave. I, I commandeered computer time and found out the orbital elements of her ship and its departure time. Found out I could watch her leave from our desert. I landed on the pinnacle where we, we had starved together, and a few hours before dawn, watched a new star appear over the western horizon, flare to brilliance and fade as it moved away, becoming just another star, then a dim star, then nothing. I walked to the edge and looked down the sheer rock face to the dim, frozen, rippling dunes a half a kilometer below. I sat with my feet dangling over the edge, thinking nothing until the sun's oblique rays illuminated the dunes in a soft, tempting chiaroscuro of of low relief. Twice I shifted my weight as if to jump. When I didn't, it was not fear of pain or loss. The pain would only be a bright spark, and the loss would only be the armies, and it would be their ultimate victory over me, having ruled my life for so long to force an end to it. And, I don't know, I just... It was so sad. It's sad. Like, he's, it's like the, his whole life has been given to this cause yeah. that he doesn't understand. And I think there's a really beautiful there. There's like kind of like a, a, a like a triforce of of themes in the in the book where it's like there's mm-hmm. you know obviously this higher this higher uh, feeling of like what it means to be human, love, uh, you know, philosophical thought. Uh, you know, all the mm-hmm. things that, you know, are like the soul part of a person, right? And, you know, be sappy. And then there's like all the meatbag stuff, right? Where it's like, <laughs> I had to pee in a thing and I had to put a catheter in my in my rectum and then my leg <laughs> fell off and right. like people have intestines coming, you know, like there's all the meat and like people smelled bad. And even the, some of the sex part goes in like that meatbag part. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then like the third part is is that idea of like time and space uh the breeding generational stuff that's like species Mm -hmm. 
genetic memory uh like that i don't know i think it's like a really nice capsule of 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 the genre in the 70s -hmm. uh i mean yes like we got super bagged down in like all of the sex stuff but i think like once you get through it you can really appreciate that this novel as like a time capsule i mean these the the characters even though it was written before we were born they're our generation and so it's like i'm i'm reading about my contemporary i'm reading about myself if i was sent off to fight weird coat hanger aliens like i don't even understand what they look like (laughs) yeah i mean I, I would have probably not been in the first deployment, um, but my brother might have been, yeah. or, you know, um, maybe, um, like, my ex-husband. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, it It's definitely kind of sobering to think in those terms, because it, it does, it makes it feel a lot more personal than it might for when it was written. Yeah, for, I mean, yeah, and I... It's like, you know, that whole, like, uh, well, you know, there was, like, old shows that were on in the 60s. Um, oh, one of them, it was, like, set in 1999. It's, like, black and white. It's, like, a sitcom, but it's in space. Lost in space. Uh, so, like, that one mm-hmm. was always, like, funny because it's, like, ooh, it's set in 1999. And they're, like, in, you know, and they have a robot <laughs> in a spaceship. And it's, like, ha, 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 ha. And this is more, like, visceral. It's more, like, look, you know, we have these ships. Yeah. And, and it's all about – and it's and the technology is real. Like, it's not about – it's not Star Trek, right? Like, you feel G-forces. Mm-hmm. Your bodies are punished. You know, time yeah. does not work with you. And it's mm-hmm. just sobering and depressing and, like, makes you feel small. And I think that it's it's a really great way to show to people who have never been in war, like myself, what mm-hmm. it's like to have your, yeah. your best years of your life given to this kind of weird violence. And, and also, like, how boring war is. It's, like, a lot of sit around mm-hmm. and wait, getting yelled at and waiting. And then, like, you mm-hmm. engage someone and you don't even really know what's happening. And it's not like a movie. And, and then it's right. over. And you kind of like, mm-hmm. okay, well, what now? Yeah, and it's only after it's over do you even under like do you even learn what happened? Yeah. and you know, and then only after like the whole thing is over do you learn whether the part that you played and the actions you saw had any significance. Um, right, and then at the end of the war, they realized, oh no, we were just fighting each other because Earth needed an economy boost, and mm-hmm. uh, we didn't know how to talk to these people because we're assholes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, we couldn't talk to the Tarans, and so then some of the like high up in the you know human governments decided to seize the excuse for a war. Yeah. So, yeah. So um, I wanted. I do want to read my section, which is the meat bag stuff uh, before we end. Yes. So this is um, in the very beginning of the book. They are. So this is kind of like where they start with the technology, and they get, it gets a little better. Uh, but where they start, they when they accelerate, they feel the G-forces. So the way that they get around having to accelerate at 4 or 5 or even 8G is a lot of things that you see. Um, I think if you – I've mentioned the show before on the on the podcast. But if you watch The Expanse, they get, like, drugs. If you read Seed of Cherry, there's always drugs involved. Uh, they, they kind of are pressured from outside and in. So they have drugs that they take, and then they're filled with a gas. And then they are – there's another gas on the outside of their body, so they have to be in tanks. So to pressurize them so that they aren't crushed to death. Um, so, yeah, it says, The shell is like a flexible spacesuit. At least the fittings on the inside are pretty similar. But instead of a life support package, there's a hose going into the top of the helmet and two coming out of the heels, as well as two relief tubes per suit. 
They're crammed in shoulder to shoulder in light acceleration couches, getting to your shells like picking your way through a giant web of olive drab spaghetti. When the lights in my helmet showed that every body was suited up, I pushed the button that flooded the room. No way to see, of course, but I can imagine the pale blue solution, ethylene glycol and something else foaming up around us and over us. The suit material, cool and dry, collapsed in to touch my skin at every point. I knew that my internal body pressure was increasing rapidly to match the increasing fluid pressure outside. That's what the shot was for. Keep your cells from getting squished between the devil and the deep blue sea. You could still feel it, though. By the time my meter said two, external pressure equivalent to a column of water two nautical miles deep, I felt that I was at the same time being crushed and bloated. I, I mean, like, that is what yeah. <laughs> space travel is like for this guy and like they don't have windows and like the coffee sucks i think the first mission all they drink <laughs> is like soy and it sucks like there's no good like and i think that's where like how even though there's a very sparse language that's why you believe in mary gay and his relationship because mm-hmm. it's like oh yeah well that's like the only positive thing he's got right like they were there for each right. other through all of this drab horrible crushing like just the weight uh, literally the weight of the galaxy on them yeah well and and not only that but kind of sprinkled throughout are some of the external markers that they might have been intrinsically compatible if had they simply met in the course of life i mean it obviously the people that are conscripted are the smartest of the smart so they're gonna have you know they're gonna be able to relate to each other on an iq level that neither of them is going to be able to relate to many other people in their lives and they obviously like he's a pacifist and she's like super tender-hearted caretaker so they're going to have like that kind mm-hmm. of you know connection and it's one of it's one of those things where if, if you read between the lines you can see where maybe like even if they hadn't been in this situation but they had met they, there still might have been a spark there yeah and I, Which, I i feel like i did not think that they were ever going to meet up again i thought oh well he's just going to figure out that she died like when he gets there to the end and they yeah. give him his they give him his file and he's like there's a note i shouldn't read it and i was like don't read it it's just gonna tell you how she died (laughs) it's a handwritten note and he knows like just looking well he says you recognize the the handwriting so he knows it's from her and presumably he's thinking it's probably probably at the end of her life or on her wedding day to someone else or god only knows like she's in the hospital and she's like got irradiated and had like two weeks you know before she was gonna die or something but <laughs> turns out they it's, bought a ship and decided to ride that relativity to their own to their own future yeah, it's awesome yeah it's it, it is like one of the best love stories that like it's one of my favorite love stories i mean it's still because, chance because she still had they still yeah. had to sit and calculate first off it's not just her it's yeah. her and a group of other people well yeah because she said it took like her entire accumulated back pay plus five other people right so they all kind of like but i guess they were like at that point, like, what does it matter if you're going to wait another 200 years and watch society change again? Like, one person in your comrade group that you love, presumably, because I think most people would have loved Mary Gay working with her, um, has somebody she wants, like, she's trying to find. Like, that's her dude. Mm-hmm. And they're like, hello. Well, I think the also they're here like, for let's any just of us. <laughs> go into the part of the future where this war is definitely over. So yeah. <laughs> for them, that's like 300 and whatever years it is. So they just, they ride that out. And then at the end, she's mm-hmm. like, hopefully doing her calculations of how long it would take him to get to where, because she saw his orders, where he was going to go yeah. and get back. Like, okay, that's that much time. The war has got to be over by then. And mm-hmm. if it's not, then we'll at least still be able to meet up. And then maybe they can use that ship to ride out some other three centuries. Uh, I mean, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> 
it's it's so sweet <laughs> i like it though and then the um, epilogue is just their birth announcement <laughs> yeah like it's 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 so it's so quiet yeah, but, it's so it, but it actually has so much information it's like obviously they got married and they had a baby and the uh the doctor who delivered it was diana aveda moore or whatever which means that like his xo that he had liked the one who actually tried having um relations yeah. with the the man um hive mind the latent heterosexual um, <laughs> right so he he and you know he and the doctor had themselves reprogrammed away from homosexuality toward heterosexuality and obviously got married themselves so yep you know. and it worked out Wait. he was like you're gonna like it <laughs> i'm like this is so offensive to any queer people reading it but it's just so funny like you can just be reprogrammed we can just make you like this well, okay, but but to to be fair, to, like the, the conceit of like ninety nine percent of everyone being homosexual homosexual was that they were programmed to right. it to prevent like population issues. So uh, whatever the sort of natural level of homosexuality, if a society is completely like free and open to it, it's not going to be ninety nine percent. So you know that's I think that's why that. Was yeah. I don't know no, that it was I mean, necessarily I got, I got meant it. to be like it, any any homosexuals like, programmed, <laughs> but you know, but yeah, but it it was funny when when to me that Mandela was sitting there like, oh, you're latent, like because there's there's a point when the doctor gets super drunk and like says, you can try it if you want, like if you're just desperate and you like really just need <laughs> oh, yeah, to put doctor. it in somewhere. Oh man, <laughs> and he's like, I tried, but you fell asleep. <laughs> I'm like, he never cheated on Mary Gay, not really. Which is nice. Uh, and then in her note, she's like, you're the only one I've ever wanted. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> They deserve a happy ending after that shitty, weird, pointless yes. war. And you know what? That's why I've never read the sequels. I don't want to. Like, I yeah. feel like this book, it, it tells me everything I need to know about the story and their story and the situation. It's perfect. Like, I don't want to change it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get that. I get that feeling, especially when the books, the, the sequels were written so long ago. Um, well, I don't know if so they were after, written, yeah. you know, all that later, but they were never published. So, like, uh, I don't know. Why was that? So. I mean, I, I, did, I did read about that. I think some of them were contemporary to the story so it's just like other people at the same time mm-hmm. um hopefully at different levels of the military so you kind of get a different feel of what the war was like but yeah i i i don't i don't want to know if they failed or if their planet exploded <laughs> or like <laughs> don't want to know don't tell me right i need that like i need that sometimes i just want my heroes to ride off into the sunset and have a happy ending it doesn't yeah that whole that whole you've been through enough yeah. you've earned your rest not like the frodo <laughs> kind of happy ending where it's like everything sucks let's kill ourselves like just like a oh, nice right. a nice like a genuine like a genuine. happy ending yeah yeah <laughs> like the wesley and buttercup exactly. happy ending. just like that i just watched that <laughs> I did too. So <laughs> have you ever read that book? I have, and I read it when I was. Damn it! I, I have, and when I read it when I was young enough, it confused the fuck out of me. I was like, "Oh my god, was this a book first? Was it a book first? Because you know, the whole conceit of the book is like, I wrote this, and then they made a movie. Fuck you! And I'm just like, what? What's happening? And I'm like, oh no, it's not real. Because I was like 12 or something. It's like I didn't understand. Yeah. I wasted a lot of time looking for the real version. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I need, the, I need the original, the unabridged version, the one where he's not like having like interviews with his son and stuff. Yeah, 
yeah yeah i I need i need i need inigo's 50 page soliloquy (laughs) on lost glory i need it (laughs) where's that fan fiction that book is so rachel rachel i've never looked for that fan fiction it probably oh my god it has to we need to find it has to (laughs) we're getting way off um so is there anything else that you feel like you need to say about forever war no, I think I'm good. Um, solid recommendation, uh, but very anachronistic. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we've, after Left Hand of Darkness and Biting the Sun, yeah, like, is it really that fair. anachronistic for our context? Yeah, it's super fair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so what am I going to be reading next? Wow. Speaking of space. Um, in honor of my imminent trip to star wars celebration in orlando i am going to recommend and this is strategic of me so we will probably get back into star wars eventually but i'm going to recommend one of the best of the new canon of star wars that i've read so far um okay and we're going to read lost stars by claudia gray all right it's YA, but you're going to like it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, look, I don't hate all YA, because the YA that's, like, classified that way just because it lacks a certain, you know, level of grittiness and, like, uh, whatever. Like, that part's fine. I just, like, Sabriel was absolutely fine, and that's considered YA, so. Yeah, and this is, like, a weird book yeah. because Star Wars, before, the, before Disney took over and kind of jettisoned the old EU canon and made it what they call legends, which means that they're, like, myths. They're not real anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, before mm-hmm. they did that, there had never really been, like, an outright, like, love story in star Uh wars like it was always like you know adventure books there might be some love in it but it was always adventure 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 even the kids books that were like legitimately like old school ya were just adventure books so this is this is a ya romance happens Ooh, is it a kissing it's a kissing book it's definitely a kissing book and it's set during the time of um the first three movies so uh, a new hope through return of the jedi uh but it is from the okay. point of view of people who are not jedi who are not skywalkers who do not have all that bullshit going on they're just two people who live in the galaxy who get caught up in that war as everyone was uh it's, it's i really really love it it's really great okay. i hope you like it <laughs> well I, I i hope i do too it sounds um it sounds like it'll be good so I hope so. And then, so this is, this is all new canon, right? So you don't have to know any okay. of the, the old stuff. You, all you need to have seen are the first three movies, which you have to your goal. Yes. Awesome. 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 Yep. Well, I will, uh, I will look forward to reading it. All right. Mm. That's it. Okay. Well then I'm going to call it. Thanks for listening, everybody. And have a good night. Bye.